And another thing And another thing And another thing And another thing Welcome to another episode of And Another Thing, the podcast that continues to set the bar in the world of podcasts. My name is Jody Jenkins. And I'm Tony Clement. And Tony, you're joining us from like Miami or something? Yeah, Coral Gables, which is a neighborhood in Miami. Uh, I was there. uh, I've been here for five days now, I guess. And uh, I was invited to go to a international conference uh, entitled Democracy at, at Risk. Uh, with the subtitle Developments in East and Central Europe. And I was invited like six weeks ago uh, to moderate a session. And there's people from Germany and Scandinavia, Ukraine, Russia, Georgia, and the Caucasus, and so on. They were all here, about, I don't know, 40 or 50 people. And then the, the day the conference started on Wednesday was the day that Putin invaded Ukraine. So it was like a very dramatic backdrop to the meeting that was about Ukraine, but also about other Eastern European countries and how to build democracy there. So lots to talk about then at the at the conference. <laughs> yeah, and 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 uh, the thing was like people were just in a daze for the first day of the conference. Like they. they, they these are people who, well, some of them are from Ukraine, others are dissidents from Russia, and others are near neighbors to the fighting, right? And so uh, people were literally kind of walking around like zombies uh, because they were just so stressed out at the invasion. And when we had the sessions, you know, uh, most people were on their phones all, uh, all the time just trying to find out what was going on and whether somebody they knew was affected and impacted. So it was very emotional as well as being on point. But uh, uh, I certainly uh, got got some new friends out of it, including the a former deputy prime minister of Ukraine, Oleg uh, uh, Rybachuk, and um, great guy. And uh, there were a bunch of Americans here too, as you can imagine, former ambassadors and that kind of thing. Uh, so, uh, it was, yeah, as you said, it was uh, very relevant to be here. As always, our program is generously sponsored by Municipal Solutions. They present the show each week. You can find them online at municipalsolutions.ca. And I know that, Tony, you're able to share a little bit more about what John Mutton and the crew do there. Well, I, too, want to thank John Mutton and uh, Municipal Solutions for their continued sponsorship. Uh, they're great for so many different municipal services, whether it's permits you need or architectural services or planning approvals, all of those things and more are in their grab bag that they can help you with. So visit municipalsolutions.ca for the full list. And Jody, I want to give a little bit of a teaser here because we've got a new sponsor who's about to come on. Okay, uh, and uh, they're not. Uh, they won't. I won't. Uh, this is not one of the shows they're sponsoring, but they're coming on uh, later on in March, and uh, that is the Canada Strong and Free Network, that was formerly known as the Manning Center, 
and the Canada Strong and Free Network, Strong and Free Network, is is actually doing their conference finally in person in Ottawa in May, and it'll be a real jamboree of conservative thinking and uh, really interesting guests, uh, lots of interesting sessions. So we'll have more information about that in later episodes. But I do want to thank the Canada Strong and Free Network for agreeing to be a sponsor for a few weeks anyway uh, on our program. And are we going to be there or what? Yes, I think you and I have talked about this. I think we should try to do a podcast at uh, the conference. I certainly will be there and uh, there'll be lots of interesting people to interview. So I I really think we should try to to get our podcast cast in there and and do some interviews. And don't forget looneypolitics.com. You can get exclusive content Shows that you cannot hear anywhere else, including and another thing, simply by becoming a annual subscriber. Uh, use the code podcast to get 50% off your annual subscription. Again, looneypolitics.com. So you're in Miami for this conference. It's wrapping up and you were able to do uh, a wonderful interview yes. uh, with a general. I'll, I'll let you kind of like tee it up, like what what this interview is all about. Yeah, so uh, one of the guests uh, and speakers at, at the conference was a gentleman by the name of Vladimir Milov, and he's the former chairman of the Democratic Choice Party in Russia, and he's the former deputy minister of energy of Russia. And uh, Vladimir uh, is basically the sidekick. He's the he is the uh, chief kind of strategist for Alexei Navalny. And Alexei Navalny is the chief opposition leader in Russia. He ran against Putin. He's the guy that Putin tried to poison. Well, he did poison him, almost killed him. And uh, when he returned to Russia after his hospital treatment, uh, he was immediately jailed by Putin and is uh, basically still incarcerated. So Milov is kind of his guy on the outside, uh, keeping things together in their party, Democratic Choice. So he's a Democrat. He's anti-Putin. He has a huge following. Uh, He's got a big following on Twitter, but he also, he uses uh, his YouTube channel and Navalny's YouTube channel to reach millions upon millions of Russians with their their message of, of democracy and hope. So, you know, he's a dissident basically, Jody, and uh, he was at the conference and uh, I just thought it would be really cool, you know, at this time, uh, to hear from someone who's a Russian but doesn't buy into Putin's lies or his strategy or his agenda. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's great that uh, he agreed to come on our program. All right. So enjoy this interview uh, with Tony and his guest, and we'll we'll come back after it, and maybe we can chat a little bit more to follow up. But uh, this should be interesting. I'm here with uh, Vladimir uh, Milov uh, from Russia. Um, so, Vladimir, uh, tell us uh, who you are and uh, what you're doing here, that kind of thing. Uh, my name is Vladimir Milov, and I'm uh, one of the public faces of the Russian opposition. I work with the jailed Putin's critic Alexei Navalny. I'm Navalny's major advisor on economy and uh, international affairs. I've been in the opposition for 20 years now, but before that I used to work for the Russian government in the late 90s and early Putin's era. Uh, my last position being Deputy Minister of Energy, and uh, I was the main author of a concept of unbundling Gazprom, breaking it into pieces and uh, 
creating a competitive gas market, which Putin didn't like. Which so is that was the break? Yeah, yes. Which is why main reason why I left and I became a vocal critic of his uh, anti-democratic, anti-market course. And uh, we used to work together with the late Boris Nemtsov, who's been yes. assassinated in Moscow in uh, 2015. And I knew, we, uh, I knew Mr. Yeah, Nemtsov, actually. We yeah. used to write books together. If you heard about uh, our reports, Putin, the results, very yeah. critical assessment of Putin's legacy. So we wrote it together with Boris. So obviously uh, you are what we used to call a dissident uh, in earlier times. Um, what's your, obviously the big thing in the room as we record this, this is day three of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, and uh, so in terms of how that is playing out, I think, uh, I think we, we all know that the overwhelming force that the Russian army is using, that Mr. Putin is using, is having an impact. So maybe, maybe get, let's start off with that, because I do want to talk about internally what's going on in Russia, but give us your assessment of uh, Putin's uh, drive into Ukraine. Well, first, unfortunately, we, the opposition, have been warning the international community for many years that Putin's authoritarian consolidation and crackdown on human rights will not stop inside Russia. He will export this. When, when he tastes a sense of lawlessness, uh, which is unrestricted, uh, he will like it. Uh, and he will export this behavior into international relations, particularly given a very severe drive of the Russian elite towards imperial nostalgia and recreating an exclusive spheres of influence primarily, but not limited to the post-Soviet space. I have to say that not all uh, people and not all members of uh, the Russian elite think that way, but uh, under Putin it became a dominant idea that we need to sort of incorporate everybody around us under our umbrella and everybody should refrain from, from uh, interfering with this process. So uh, it already led to some unfortunate developments. We already began to have major conflicts with our neighbors since early Putin's era. The other thing is that he was absolutely terrified by what is called color revolutions, meaning popular revolts in authoritarian or semi-authoritarian post-Soviet space against uh, dictators or strongmen who wanted to hold on to power by undemocratic means. He sees an existential threat for him in, in, in these uh, popular revolts because he believes that uh, one day, with the help of the Western governments, he also will be overthrown. Hold on, for one sec, we're getting... That doesn't look like a Russian Blackhawk, so I think we're okay. <laughs> okay, continue. Uh, because uh, Putin uh, really understands, fully understands the nature of his regime. Yeah. He understands that people of Russia, the Russian society, wants a totally different thing. They want to have a say, they want to have an influence in politics, open competitive political environment. So one day they will come out uh, to demand uh, changes. Putin is very fearful of that, and uh, uh, during the color revolutions in our neighboring states, uh, he saw that the West, who actively supports pro-democracy movements, is an existential threat, because he believes one day these things will happen in Russia, and the West will be an ally in sort of overthrowing him, you know. So mm -hmm. if you listen to Putin and his closest allies, this... Uh, 
uh, color revolution prospect is absolutely terrifying for them. They are afraid of popular revolts. But he doesn't obviously say that out loud. He doesn't say, I'm against democracy and I, I'm against the color revolutions. He says that Ukraine is historically part of Russia and, and, and should be again part of Russia. Uh, that, uh, that appeared only very recently. Ah. Uh, but the color revolution rhetoric, no, no, that, that was in place for okay. quite a long time. Okay. If you just type in Russian Putin Svetny Revolutsi, Putin Patrushev, all the major folks in uh, Putin's entourage, they're absolutely obsessed with color revolutions. So I would agree with many people who say that what happens with Ukraine is not about history, not about security guarantees, not about NATO. Ukraine never bowed to Putin's attempts to incorporate all post-Soviet space into his dictatorial Eurasian realm. Uh, formally what he calls Eurasian Union. Right. Uh, but essentially it's a club of uh, dictators who appeared uh, on the rem remains of what we knew as uh, Soviet Union. He wanted to include Ukraine in that uh, dictatorial mafioso club, but he failed. Mm. Ukrainians revolted two times, in 2004 and later with the Maidan in 2014. He's uh, absolutely badly wounded by that. The thing is, uh, you do not, you cannot say that you control post-Soviet space if you do not control Ukraine. That's a jewel in the crowd. It's the biggest and most valuable state in this, uh, you know, a whole number of um, former Soviet republics. So essentially, if he does not control Ukraine, that means a failure yeah. of his, you know, attempt to construct this Eurasian dome, you know. Right. Uh, so uh, he was badly wounded for all these years, and uh, he'd been trying different ways and different options on how to still try to regain control. But I think he became more aggressive lately when his major allies uh, in Ukraine, like uh, Viktor Medvedchuk, uh, he was uh, charged with uh, treason and right. put under house arrest. Putin complained about that many times personally. Uh, some pro-Russian television being shut down, many things like yeah. that. After which he realized that there's, there's effectively no way of destabilizing Ukrainian democratic government through political means, which means that he really started to consider a military option, which we are seeing right now. But it's not about anything much more than just uh, Putin's uh, desire to recreate full control of Ukraine and uh, embrace it under the Russian umbrella in, into this dictatorial Eurasian realm. So the invasion is ongoing. Um, obviously, you're in contact with people in your homeland uh, in Russia. Tell us, tell us what's going on there. Tell us the reaction of the people. Well, first I have to say that in Russia it's very difficult to break through the official state propaganda. Uh, me, the independent media, independent voices are heavily censored. Uh, so there is still some access uh, for the people to, to alternative point of view. But I have to say that the combined audience of... Uh, uh, different opposition and independent channels is probably limited to like about 15 million people overall, which is about like, just slightly over 10% uh, of the Russian population. The rest uh, gets a lot of information from state TV, and there's been a very intense brainwashing uh, in the recent months that the West is plotting something, some provocations, they want to militarily take over. Uh, Donbass and Crimea and so on and uh, particularly Ukrainian government has been portrayed 
uh, on the Russian television as the United States client state, mm. not an independent but a puppet government which does not serve and uh, is not in control of their own people. Actually, this is what you hear from, from many Russians who watch television now, is that, listen, but uh, uh, Ukraine, we, we, to overthrow Ukraine government is nothing bad because we're only, you know, giving Ukrainian people a free choice. Right. Russian television portrays this as Ukraine have been really seized, but they, they use the word fascists and uh, uh, all this stuff, American puppets, Nazis, uh, Nazis and so on. So uh, there is a way forward because we already, uh, the opposition have been quite successful in debunking a lot of mythology that is put forward by propaganda, but it's, it's, this process has big inertia. It takes effort, it takes time, doesn't happen overnight. So which is why for us, uh, we see a major task at the moment is um, uh, to distribute all these videos and pictures of Ukrainian city burning, being bombed, uh, desperate people, uh, women and children and animals and bomb shelters and so on. Because Russian television doesn't, uh, Putin is heavily censoring all that. Right. The official point of view is that we're not waging a war against Ukraine. We're doing a very limited scale peacekeeping operation in Donbass. Not even in the whole of Ukraine. Oh, so they may not even be aware that they're, they're coming uh, into Kiev? There's uh, very little awareness. Many people who watch uh, state television hardly believe when they are told the truth. They're really unaware. So state television completely blocks the information about uh, assault on uh, many Ukrainian cities and so on. Uh, they, they, you know, they rarely show the footage, except some, some censored clips which are approved, right? Uh, so first is to break through this information blockade and tell people that something really is going on. Uh, this would work. This would work. Uh, it already works, uh, but to, to a slower extent than uh, uh, we and uh, the people of the free world might like it. But unfortunately, that's the inertia and uh, barriers established by the propaganda. So awareness is extremely low. But eventually, as it happens with the war, as it happened with war in Afghanistan, uh, with two wars in Chechnya. We'll be able, the opposition efforts, the Western information efforts, and the word of mouth, if you will, that's very important uh, during censorship, it will eventually help for the truth to finally break through. I remember the 1980s, I remember the wars in Chechnya, I remember how after initial patriotic mobilization, uh, people slowly but surely actually came to realize what's really going on. Mm -hmm. So I'm confident uh, this is going to happen this time as well. One, uh, one additional question then. Uh, there have been reports and there have been images shared of very brave uh, protesters in Moscow and other uh, urban centers who have, uh, who have shown uh, their displeasure for the invasion. Uh, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, uh, the, the problem with uh, modern day Russia is that during the past couple of years, Authorities have taken very specific measures to actually scare off people from protesting on the streets. There's been an unprecedented crackdown, like um, during January, February 2021, after Alexei Navalny returned to Russia after poisoning and he was then jailed. Uh, many hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets, of whom significant number of, was arrested. The official figure provided by Russia to the United Nations was 17,600, which is almost 20,000. Mm -hmm. Basically a city, a yeah. city. Uh, the, the total number of people detained across the country, 
Uh, the arrests, detentions were exceptionally brutal. Uh, many people were really badly beaten up and uh, so on. Plus, many people received very long arrest terms, uh, huge fines, which they cannot afford because of their salary. And many people were persecuted with the criminal cases. Putin has introduced a new law, uh, which says that if you have like two or three administrative offenses, you arrested two or three times for, for participating in the rally, you can get a criminal uh, case open against yourself and end up in jail. Uh, so two, three violations of, uh, of, of uh, the rules for street rallies, you can end up in jail. So people are very afraid. Uh, that means uh, that the bravery of those who still took to the streets is enormous, particularly given the fact that for Putin, this issue of war is critical. Mm -hmm. He would not tolerate any protest. Still, I would say tens of thousands of people came. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, we judge about the number, uh, total number across the country because there is official information that about 2,000 people were detained, uh, which was single-digit percentage points of sure. the total protesters. That means that the whole, like, you know, I don't know, several dozen thousand uh, people sure. across the country went, went to, to the rallies. Now, uh, finally, you have a YouTube channel, very successful, very popular. Tell us about that and how people can hear your voice. Uh, we have developed a very significant YouTube capacity with the Russian opposition in the past uh, few years. In particular, Alexei Navalny was successful in that, which is, to me, the major reason why he was initially poisoned and subsequently put in jail. Uh, Navalny's uh, weekly live broadcasts on Thursday attracted uh, easily one to two million viewers each. Uh, so I now, I'm one of the uh, major faces of Navalny Live YouTube channel, which has 2.5 million subscribers and about 10 million unique viewers a month. Uh, and I host my weekly show, uh, actually replacing Alexei to a large extent sure. while he's in jail. Plus, I also have my own YouTube channel, Vladimir Milov, with over 300,000 subscribers, where I try to focus on uh, some more detailed topics which are of specific interest to me, like economy, international affairs, future reforms in Russia and uh, some other stuff uh, like that. So uh, I think we have been quite successful in breaking through the information blockade. This new media empire, if you will, that we have uh, with the help of YouTube is something that was like non-existent uh, six, seven years ago. Uh, and that's a big concern for Putin, which is why his regulatory authorities is trying to put big pressure on Google and other social media outlets to actually shut down our content. Uh, they resist so far, but it's an interesting thing uh, whether that will continue. Well, Vladimir, uh, we, uh, we want to wish you success and uh, of course to Mr. Navalny as well, who's, uh, who's in jail right now after having been poisoned, as you mentioned, and uh, we certainly uh, hope that uh, those voices can be heard in, in Russia. Thank you so much. Thank you for your support. Thank, Thank you. you. Excellent discussion there. and. Yeah, obviously so much going on right now in the world. And uh, he definitely has a, a unique perspective uh, from, you know, from yeah. experience. So, well, and that was that was teed up on uh, last Friday, Jody, just for our listeners to understand. And even over the weekend, there's been so much news out of Ukraine and Russia. Obviously, at the time that we're recording this, uh, the Ukrainians are hanging on for dear life. They're fighting in Kiev and they're fighting in 
uh, Kharkiv and uh, there, there, uh, Zelensky is still alive uh, as we're recording this. So there's, uh, there's, there's hope, but there's also fear. I mean, I think there's over 500,000 refugees now in, uh, from Ukraine. And uh, so the, the situation isn't getting better. Uh, but at the same time, we're, we're seeing the rallying of, uh, of NATO and the West. And Germany has been very, very solid, uh, and they're, they're contributing arms. Even little Switzerland that's normally been, uh, uh, you know, neutral has uh, decided to freeze a lot of the assets of the Russian oligarchs. So uh, there is some fear right now, but there's also some hope, right? And did I see right that the mayor of Kiev is Vitaly Klitschko, the like the boxer. Is is that what he did before? Yeah, he was like a championship boxer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. And of course, Zelensky was a comedian, the the, pre, the president. And then you saw, you saw those photos of the former Miss Ukraine who traded in her bikini for an AK forty seven. I don't know if you saw that. No, I didn't see that. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, it's just incredible. There's literally thousands and thousands of Ukrainians who are volunteering to take up arms and uh, to fight in the streets of Kiev or, or wherever. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think this has gone so far as Putin has imagined, but uh, let's not forget that uh, he will be ruthless and he will deploy the Russian army to murderous effect. So uh, we have to continue to pray for Ukraine, that's for sure. Yes, and hopefully, hopefully this doesn't go on much longer. That's uh, I think that's everybody's hope in this uh, in this situation, and avoid avoid more uh, needless deaths for sure. Well, let's uh, hope that uh, Putin comes to his sense, senses. I'm not optimistic on that front, but one can always hope. All right. Well, we will uh, watch this story as it un- continues to unfold, uh, and I'm sure that the conversation uh, will probably come up again in one of our programs but uh yeah we'll definitely keep our eyes open and see see what uh what happens as this uh as this story moves on uh, don't forget municipal solutions uh, proud supporters of our program week in week out bringing it to you each uh each week uh, you can find on uh, find them online at municipalsolutions.ca also uh, looneypolitics.com use the code podcast to get 50% off an annual subscription get access to great podcasts and articles that you cannot get anywhere else. Again, that's looneypolitics.com. And Tony had teased earlier about the uh, conservative conference uh, coming up very soon that we will be a part of. And we're looking forward to having them be a part of the uh, show as well. So that's kind of like a teaser that we got some new sponsorship coming and lots, lots going on these days. And when do you come home? Uh, I, uh, in a few hours, I will be catching my flight and we'll be back in, Chili mask wearing Ontario. Yeah, actually, I spoke with, I won't say who, but I spoke with a couple MPPs today. And it sounds to me like masks are going to be a thing of the past very, very soon. Like, could be within the next couple of weeks. Well, I got to say, it's, it was quite uh, freeing to be in Florida for the past five days and not wearing a mask. And uh, of course, I got tested this morning, uh, no COVID. So uh, I got to say, it's it's nice to be in a land of freedom. Yes, no doubt. I'm looking forward to getting down there actually myself soon. So it's, uh, 
It'll be coming sooner than later. All right, Tony. Well, we will do this again in seven days. Enjoy the rest of your week. For sure.